Good morning. Welcome to All Souls Fellowship, especially if you're new and visiting with us this morning. We are so glad to have you here, whether you are uh, checking out church for the holidays or visiting with family, whatever brings you here uh, this morning. We're so glad to worship with you. My name is Mike St. Dennis. I'm the associate pastor here at All Souls. Uh, I was out of town on a family vacation for the last couple weeks, and then I'm back and and looking around, there's something different here. Uh, it just feels more lively and vibrant. I don't know what it is. What do you think? Oh, oh Christmas. Oh, yeah, I think Silas said that. Uh, of course, with the Christmas decor that's out, maybe it's up around your house as well. It's going up in our house this afternoon with the turkey dinner in the rearview mirror. It is now time for the season of... Advent. Advent. Uh, for a long time for me, it was like, well, now it's the season of Christmas. Uh, but over the last couple of years, I've begun to love and appreciate the season between Thanksgiving and Christmas called the season of Advent. Uh, the church throughout history has practiced kind of a rhythm to the year, a rhythm and different emphases to learn different things, to orient our hearts and our minds and our practices to different aspects of God's story. And this season of Advent is a special one where we practice waiting, waiting. Fleming Rutledge, who's a, a priest, a theologian, and an author, wrote about the season of waiting in Advent and said this, Advent is not for the faint of heart. Advent, the period of waiting and anticipating Christmas is coming, the place between the promise and the realization is rife with darkness and the gritty realities of this life. Advent, unlike Christmas, happens in the dark, in the stillness, in the wilderness. It happens in the wandering and the waiting places of our lives, that it's in those places that Christmas, the birth of God's life into our world, takes place. And she says it's so good that we practice Advent in this darkness, to take on the posture of waiting because so much of our life is marked by wandering and waiting and darkness and the hope of God's promises coming to us. Now there's something I need to tell you uh, about myself. My kids are here in the room so I could have them come and tell you, but I am one of those people. I'm one of those people. For me, I divide the year into just two distinct seasons. Christmas, which begins in September, as soon as the nighttime temperatures fall below 70 degrees, and lasts until late January, the 23rd to be specific, my birthday. And the season of Christmas, my kids will argue with me and say, no, it's not Christmas yet. And I'll say, yes, it is, because Christmas is this season, and Halloween is part of the Christmas season, and Thanksgiving is part of the Christmas season, and football season is part of the Christmas season, just like my birthday and New Year's. And yet they argue with me. So the one season, Christmas, September through the end of January, and then the other season, I like to tell them, it's a little thing I call, it's almost Christmas. And so it doesn't matter the time, spring or summer, I'll turn to them and say, hey, you know what? It's almost Christmas. And they roll their eyes. Maybe like you are doing right now as well. 
for me, this season of Christmas, and the reason why I I take all these events and lump them in, uh, it's because Christmas to me represents some of the best things that life has to offer. A chance to slow down, to be together with those that we love, over a meal or in the car on the way shopping, to be able to share our lives and our stories with one another to practice togetherness and family parties, to, to share in joy and sing songs together, uh, to practice generosity and sacrifice, to, to put the needs of others above your own, to practice togetherness, to be together, to practice togetherness. Did I say togetherness? I am, I am extroverted, that's for sure, but it's really, it's, it's just this space where life, when we slow down to be together, to know one another, to share in life together and the ups and the downs alike, there's just something about that that feels more human than some of the rest of the year. The season of Advent is different. You see, for me, I I want Christmas to last longer uh, because I just love everything that it represents. But there's another reason why I want Christmas to be longer. I hate waiting. I hate waiting for the parties. I hate waiting for the cookies. I hate waiting for being together. I hate waiting to listen to the music, to share a smile, to greet one another on the streets. I hate waiting for all of that. And as I was growing up, I hated waiting to open my presents. I was one of those kids as well. To this day at the St. Dennis household, the presents don't go underneath the tree until Christmas morning because somebody has a tendency to get into them. (laughs) As I've gotten older though, uh, I have come to learn and appreciate waiting. As Fleming Rutledge said, this space of Advent Not the lights and the glamour and the parties and the presence, but the darkness, the waiting, the in-between spaces. We enter into this season over the next four weeks to practice this posture of waiting and attuning our hearts to the hope that God offers us. Because so much of our life is in need of that kind of hope and joy and peace to break in and disrupt the darkness for the life of God to come in. As we look at our passage this morning, we're going to talk a lot about the context that this passage comes in and the waiting that characterizes it. But in this passage, we're going to hear a voice of hope that breaks in to comfort us. And we're also hearing an invitation to prepare the way because the king is coming. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 40. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. Only verses 1 through 10 are printed in your worship guide, but Susie's going to read verses 1 through 11 for us. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I say, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is our God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He, give, he gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Susie. As you read that, did you hear the, the Christmas story? Did you hear the gospel, the good news laid out for us? Comfort. The counselor is coming. The time of hard service of sin and brokenness and separation from God is ending. God is coming near in the wilderness, in the bleakness, in the darkness. God is on his way. The hills, the streams, the deep places, the valleys, the rough places, all these things are preparing to be transformed because the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed. This is good news. Go up high on a mountain. Go tell it on the mountain. Bring this good news. Lift your voice and shout and proclaim, here is your God. This baby who was born into vulnerability, into poverty, into strife, this is your God and your King. He comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. He comes with a reward and recompense. He comes with justice and power and might, but he also comes like a shepherd to tend his flock, to draw us into his heart, to carry us home. The entirety of the Christmas story and the gospel is here in these 11 verses. But what we need to see and understand is the context where these 11 verses come to us. This is the 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah. And in the previous 39 chapters, the prophet Isaiah is sent by God to proclaim judgment against God's people. There are words of hope sprinkled in throughout, but an overarching theme is judgment against the people. The people who God has delivered and made his own have turned away from him time and again. Turning to other gods and turning to other nations, uh, looking over those who are poor, 
allowing and turning a blind eye to injustice. Rather than waiting for God to rule and lead them into the places that he desires and bringing the kingdom into the world through them, they've turned away, turning to themselves, turning to the nations around them. And in God's judgment, he has allowed them to go that way and to be carried off into exile. The prophet Isaiah writes 600 years before the birth of Jesus to a people in exile carried away, to a people in darkness with questions about what is God up to? How long will we have to wait? When will the goodness be at hand? This too is the story of Advent, the story of Christmas. This is Israel's story and this is our story. Right before Jesus' birth in the Gospels, we have the Old Testament. Thousands of years of history of God's people and God's journey and promise to make a people in the world, not just a nation, but a people. And it begins in the book, of Genesis and the call on Abraham who himself is in the desert and who has lost his way. And the voice cries out saying, I will take you. Come, leave your household. Go to a land I will show you and I will make you a people, a great people with more descendants than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And through you, I will bless the nations. And God makes that promise and then immediately it's all realized but not really. Then the journey begins, the wandering and the waiting, the space between God's promises and the experiences of them. And this is the story of Israel. They find themselves the people of Abraham and his descendants down in the place of Egypt. And they are growing in multitude and being a blessing to the nation there, so much so that they become a threat to the people of Egypt and become enslaved and subdued, subjected to all manner of labor. And in this place, they're waiting and they're wondering in this darkness, where are the promises? Where is our home? And so God sends Moses to bring them out and says, I will deliver my people. And so they come out and they immediately then enter into blessing, except not really. Then they wander in the wilderness, waiting and wondering and wondering in the dark. Where is God taking us? How long till we get there? Finally, when they enter into the promised land, the people of Israel are there and they're set up in the kingdom. They have an army. They have kings to rule over them. And then they enter into blessing. But not really. Because time and again, they turn from God and his promises to take matters into their own hands. And finally, they're carried off again into exile, this time in Babylon. And the prophet Isaiah has written to announce these judgments on them. To say that by turning time and again to your own way, rather than waiting in trust and in hope that my promises will be delivered, he allows them to be carried off. This is Israel's story, Isaiah's story, 
the story of Advent, the story of Christmas. This is our human story. The space between what God intends for us and what God has promised and what God is up to and then a big space between that and what we observe and what we see and what we experience because so much of our life is characterized by the darkness and the waiting and the wondering. In these two exile stories in Egypt and in Babylon, we see two different forces at work. You see, in Egypt, the darkness was coming from the outside. The oppression and the injustice of Egypt being visited upon the Israel people. But in the Babylonian exile, the fault is with the the people of Israel. Who rather than remembering God's goodness and trusting and waiting in that, have turned to go another way. And it's in the midst of those types of darknesses. The wandering and the waiting when an outside force comes and disrupts us, when sin and death and brokenness comes into our lives and disorients us and we feel far and exiled from God. And the times of our own sin and disobedience where we stray away from God to choose our own path. In both of these places, God speaks this word. Comfort. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to them and proclaim that their hard service and suffering is completed. It's been paid for and they will be set free. What types of waiting are you experiencing in your own life right now? Do you find yourself in a place of wandering or a place of darkness? Do you find yourself waiting on the road, knowing to a certain degree what God has in store for you, but you feel like you're never going to get there? Are there hardships and questions and doubts and struggles? What kind of pain are you facing in your life? What kind of dissonance between the promises and the plans of God, the good things that we read about and celebrate at Christmas, what does the Advent look like for you? The invitation of this season of waiting. A practice for us over the next four weeks is to realize and trust what God is saying here. That even in the waiting, his word of comfort and hope is being proclaimed. Every year we step into Advent to practice waiting upon the Lord. To acknowledge and name the darkness. To take stock of the places that we have wandered and strayed. To face the grief and the pain that marks our life. And to name those things and in the waiting to bring them to the Lord. That his word of comfort and hope might break in. That a people walking in darkness would see this great light. So the first takeaway for our passage is that over the next four weeks let us practice that waiting the hope in the waiting that God is up to something even if we can't see it or name it or know where it's going and to name the darkness and the struggles and the challenges the hard service that we face knowing that he says it is coming to an end Let the words comfort, comfort my people, 
be spoken into the dark and the hard places. The second invitation for us is an invitation to preparation. Beginning in verse 3, we hear, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. The words for rough and rugged in this passage also connote the the injustice and the suffering and the lack of righteousness. And this is the proclamation that God himself is coming. A king is coming on the highway. He's coming into the darkness, into the suffering, into the wandering. In those desert places where we find ourselves, he's coming to find us. Just down the street, a few blocks away, is Beacon Middle School. And just on the west side is a road called King's Highway. It's a short stretch of road. And I remember learning that his name was King's Highway and and laughing to myself because I thought, well, what king came and visited the Wild Center in Oakhurst Garden and then traveled a short eighth of a mile maybe up to Beacon Middle School? You see, in most other parts of the world, when you have something named the Queen's Highway or the King's Highway, it's because a king or a queen came and traveled to that place. Some years ago, a friend of mine was going to visit uh, Uganda and some mission work that a buddy of his was participating in. So he flew into Kampala, but was going to a village about 100 miles away. And those 100 miles took him over five hours by car to get to. As they traveled over roads filled with potholes, dirt roads with wildlife getting in the way. And every time they encountered a stream or a hill or an obstacle, they had to divert and go around. So the 100 miles turned into an over five-hour experience. And then some years later, he went back a second time. And this time he boarded a bus that rode on a four-lane highway straight to the destination. It took only an hour and a half, and he was so surprised and pleased and overwhelmed after gearing himself up for a bumpy and tumultuous long ride in the car. He was so ecstatic as he thanked the bus driver getting off, and the bus driver shared with him where this road came from, telling him that the Queen of England had come for a visit. In the ancient world, as we Archaeologists go and discover roads and and houses, uncover different places of civilization from the past. There are two ways that they can tell whether something they found was significant, particularly when talking about roads. The first thing that they judge is whether or not they can find the road. Because if they can find the road all these years later, then it wasn't a rush job. It wasn't a dirt road. It wasn't like our roads here in DeKalb County with those metal plates on top. It was done with good craftsmanship. It was built to last. And the second thing that they judged the roads by, and this is especially how they tell, if royalty traveled on these roads, is how straight are the roads. Because if the royalty is coming to travel on the road, their time is so precious They cannot waste the time going around the mountains 
and around the streams. But the king sends out messengers to go and make way, prepare the way. And this is the message that we have here as well. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. A straight highway in the desert. We like to think about life uh, in this journey for all of us as we're, as we're going and traveling along, even as a community together, when we think about uh, our culture and, and our country and the places that we're going. And we, we kind of see this journey and, and, and consider what's the destination. Based off where we are, where are we going to end up? And in the church, we often think about this, this journey. We, it's been described in part as like a stairway to heaven or a highway to heaven. Cue Michael Landon here. And we think about our relationship with God and the things that he has promised as this this road or this ladder that we've got to travel. We've got to get down. But when we find ourselves in the dark places, in the wilderness, when we find ourselves up against a mountain or, or in the midst of a valley that's overwhelming us, when we find ourselves in darkness, in suffering, in confusion, in doubt, in pain, we lose sight of that road. And we suffer the loss of hope and the loss of comfort in the discouragement that we've lost our way and there may be no way back. But in the midst of our waiting in darkness and exile in the wilderness, God says this word of comfort. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. For our God who tends to his flock like a shepherd and gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart and gently leads them home. If we situate ourselves in Advent in the places of waiting and longing, rather than turning to our own way or to the things offered to us by the world around us, if we sit and wait upon the Lord, when we name the darkness and the obstacles that seem to get in the way, the mountains that we have no idea how they're going to come down, the valleys how we have no idea how they're going to get raised up, When we name and look to those things, we do so in the comfort and the hope, not that there's a highway for us to get to God, but that this God who's a shepherd and a king is making his highway to get to us. When Jesus comes into the world, every mountain does fall, is made low, The deepest valleys, even the darkest valleys of the valley of the shadow of death is raised up. The unjust places and the rough ground, the rugged places are made plain. The hurting places are healed. Jesus himself enters in. Our culture 
does not really know how to wait anymore. I think about my kids every time we watch a show that's on TV rather than streaming. They have no idea what a commercial is. I think about Amazon Prime and and just the way to curate our lives and insulate ourselves and avoid waiting at all costs to fix ourselves and heal ourselves right now. To self-medicate and do away with the darkness on our own terms and to get wherever it is that we want to be only to find out that we're still stuck and we're still lost. One theologian has said that that our culture is competent to implement almost anything, but to imagine almost nothing. We are competent to implement almost anything, any new idea, any new trick, any new self-help, any new relationships, any new way to spend our money or to get money, any new way of parenting, any new way of relationships, any new way of anything we can implement but we can imagine almost nothing. When we're sitting and waiting and acknowledging the darkness, the second invitation that this comfort and hope offers us is to practice a holy imagination. That when we name and acknowledge and wait upon the Lord with the mountains that we face and the valleys that we find ourselves in, in the darkness and the questions and the doubts, to wait within holy imagination, not of how we're going to overcome, but in the testament of a God who becomes flesh to get to us, that that same God is on his highway to come and find us, to gather us in his arms, to speak tenderly to us, to bring an end to our hard service and suffering, to gather us like lambs in his arms, and to gently lead us home. Friends, over the next few weeks, as a church, as individuals, may we take the time to wait. May we normalize the waiting and the darkness and the grief that accompanies our lives. May we name those things as obstacles, but not ones that we overcome, but that God has overcome in Jesus. And may we wait with a holy imagination for how the king is going to bring his highway to us and gather us in his arms for his glory and for our joy. Amen.